Before we get started for this week's show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content. This week, we wrap a wealth of news and events from around the world, and we speak again to Danish legend, Freddie Klocker. Enjoy. Welcome once again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Bezik and with me are my two co-hosts. First, the man known as Copernicus Cricket on Twitter, Nick Skinner. Nick, how's things? Oh, all right. Uh, I've just had a lot of boring life admin to deal with. You know, car regos coming up and uh, internet bills and whatnot. So I've been doing a paperwork day today, which not very fun, but I'm very happy to be talking about cricket. Yeah, look, dealing with the, the same issues, uh, things catching up. Uh, up in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Hopefully less boring. Well, it's tax time, isn't it? So that's everyone's favourite time here in Australia. Oh, <laughs> none of us are winning any competitions here, are we? Your favourite time of year, isn't it, in your, your line of work? Look, I, I, uh, I do have some good news. I was looking at the podcast homepage, Daniel and Nicholas. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I believe this, I know we've, we had a 50th episode special a few weeks ago because it was a sort of a 50th planned episode, but this is actually our 100th episode up on Podbean. Oh. Well, raise the bat, gentlemen. Got to the ton. 100th piece of audio uploaded to Podbean. Across a number of geez, that that's that's that sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> you, you you really put that well, didn't you? Yeah, let's just dilute a little bit. But it started with some humble interviews with Nick in uh, Das Marinas, talking to a couple of people there, of course. And we had the loop, and we've had chats uh, in Namibia, World Cup qualifier chats in the car with Peter Della Pena and Tim, interviews and videos that have been, I suppose, sanctioned for podcast as well. But one hundred pieces of audio. So we we haven't talked about this, but. Uh, what's been your favourite one so far? Surely on the balcony in Vintook. Mm, yeah, purely for location and excitement. I think the day of the Barramundi miracle, that mm. was a good show. Also the day previously where we'd almost written them off. From an outsider, enjoyed Tim's discussions with Burtis and PDP in UAE. Oh, yeah, speeding down the highway. Yes. Uh, I think Freddy Part 1 was excellent last week and we have the pleasure of having Freddy Clocker Part 2 today so hopefully the sequel will be just as good as the first uh, edition there so it's not the godfather (laughs) not quite um yeah we had amazing guests i think interviewing dennis masali about uganda was great talking to dan weston and his dream pre ecl 19 is a standout but yeah we've been lucky and i think it's a testament to the way that associate cricketers and associate cricket works it's a very open space a lot of people are very generous with their time people are very open with their discussions um and their situations we know how tricky it is as associate cricketers talking to cole kutzer a couple of weeks ago on see live i think was a good indication of that and and proof of that so yeah i I think it's made a lot easier with having such amazing guests and we've got a couple more lined up in in future weeks as well which we'll get to but let's jump in the news and the big chat over the last week or so or the last few days especially has been the caribbean premier league draft and sandeep lamachane got paid (laughs) 
You were so young when we were here. You just... Are you uploading this to TikTok or... <laughs> Sandeep Lamachane earning a cool 91000 US dollars. Picked up by the Jamaica Talawas in this year's CPL. It's his third CPL team. He's played for St. Kitts, Barbados, and will feature for Jamaica. Uh, a big presence. We know the ICC America situation. We'll get to that in a second. Big Afghan presence. Rashid Khan's back. Mohammed Nabi's back. Case Ahmad. Naveen Al-Haq. Ramanullah Gurbaz. Noor Ahmed at just 15, which is a discrepancy from Pravin Tambe, uh, who's 48 and featuring in the tournament as well. Uh, shout out as well to Sekunder Raza, who's been picked up by Trimbago. But I think one of the big stories that we saw from this draft, and full credit to Sandy Lomachani, deserves being a marquee signing in this year's CPL and, and deserves the plaudits and, and the money that's been thrown at him. But the ICC America's part of this draft only enables those players to pick up $3,000 contracts. Now, Trinbago, I suppose, have been smart in their approach, whether we like it or not. You know, from a financial perspective for Trinbago, it's a smart decision. But being able to retain Ali Khan, who is a premier Yorker T20 bowler, who's been playing at a very high level across franchise tournaments, to say he's only worth $3,000, you have to say that the discrepancy is probably a little bit too far. And even worse, you look to Kamal Everock, who hasn't been drafted at all by any of the teams, any of the six teams in this year's CPL. Tim, it's a little bit bittersweet, isn't it? I, I can't quite justify such a difference in price between Sandeep Lomachane and Ali Khan. No, absolutely not. I guess, first and foremost, it's great that the, the CPL is going to be up and running based only in Trinidad. So that's that's great. Players in the top 10 rounds have taken a, a 30% haircut to allow the, the event to go ahead. So, you know, I guess that's the first bit to start with. And the fact that the event has a, a reserve slot for an ICC America's player, again, is superb. We don't see that in any other full member T20 leagues. You know, there were associates picked in the Euro T20 Slam, but that's only because they came from that particular nation. You know, something like the Slam didn't even have a reserved associate slot or indeed a reserved uh, European associate slot. I know we talked last week of Freddie's idea about getting a, a Euro 11 into the Ireland first class league or even a, a Euro spot in the Slam. But to have these America's players picked in the last round and, and it'd have to be locked to that last round at, at $3,000 just doesn't make any sense to me. Now, if you have that mandated spot for an America's player, why not just allow those players to be picked anywhere and on demand and an Ali Khan could have been earning 10 times as much as what he's been picked on but instead he was allowed to be retained by TKR for three grand and why wouldn't you he basically won them the final two years ago and they've been able to keep him to three grand why, why not allow him to be picked up in, in any round uh, and have a bit of competitive tension there between the teams to pick up the best of the America's players because all that's happened here you've seen players get picked up in the last round and players probably not make themselves available uh, look at what happened with Davey Jacobs in the Global T20 he was picked up at 25k and then the organizing committee said ah oh, no nah, sorry the maximum that all Canadian players is going to get is five grand and I'm not sure if I'm 100% right there on that amount that's how it was five grand and he went ah well not enough for me I earn more with my landscaping business and we never saw Davey Jacobs again so there must be a number of players and we haven't seen any USA contracted players get picked so I'm guessing that there was a conflict there in schedules and meaning that they might not be able to play for American and fulfill their contractual requirements that's not good you know you want to see the best of 
of the America's play. But, you know, you're going to be turning away the better players here who are probably going to be able to find extra money elsewhere. So it's quite disconcerting when it's a simple little change could be made. Yeah, you know, you look at the fact that, I mean, it, it is outrageous. It's uh, what a what a steal for TKR to pick up one of the best bowlers in the comp for 3K. But, you know, you could do easily something like a system where if you, you play a certain number of games as an America's pick next year, you're, you're bumped up a bracket or performance-based even. You know, if you take X wickets or, or Y number of runs, you go up a, a category next time. And, and that way it rewards players who, who perform well and then they get pushed into the, the broader draft. And, you know, you look at Sandeep and how his <laughs> his price tag has only gone up over the, the last few years where he's been playing. And that's just because he's continued to perform. So I don't see why it should be different just because you're, you know, you're based in the Americas rather than, say, Nepal. Now, we know that they, on that point of view, those Americas players could have been picked up in any rounds, but they would have been treated as another overseas player. So Sandeep has been picked up as a, as a fully-fledged overseas, not as an associate, and a marquee pick at that. He was the first pick of the non-retained players. But uh, no, you're, you're right. I think it's just really stifling that what what is a great initiative, um, it could be so much better. Well, an interesting example of, of something like that is Nicholas Curtin being picked up by the Jamaica Talawas. And we know Curtin, is a Canadian international but qualifies as a non-overseas West Indian player but if anyone saw him at the T20 World Cup qualifier it's not as if he justified being picked at such a high price or a hard pick so it is interesting to see how that will all pan out but looking at some of the other ICC Americas plays that were picked up Jesse Singh was picked up Ryan Persaud uh, under 19 international was picked up Sonny Sohal was picked up excited to see Saad Bin Safar back in the CPL left arm author plenty of qualities, taken a bunch of wickets. And an interesting name that came up was a man by the name of Cheyenne Jahangir. Now, the understanding is that he is an ex-under-19s uh, Pakistan international who's moved to Houston, connections in the USA community and, and qualifies as the ICC America's player. So a little bit of an unknown quantity there. But again, to look at someone like Kamal Leverock, he was the leading wicket-taker for Bermuda at the ICC World Cup qualifier, and it wasn't even close. He had a batting strike rate of over 180 came in low down the order and made a couple of really good knocks. I remember one against Scotland where he might have made 40-odd off of about 23, 24 balls. So he's got the quality on, on both sides of the game, both bat and ball. Very disappointing to not see him. And he uh, vented his frustration through the medium of Twitter, which you know we all got to see. But it's interesting. We, we don't know what the draft list was or the players who had put forth their names. And we know that Cricket World Cup League 2 tournaments were set to be played out in the same time frame. So it'd be interesting to see who was actually nominating themselves to, to go into the draft. But I'd love to know what George Munsey has to do to get a game in a T20 Franchise League. Scotland had no Cricket World Cup League 2 engagements in that period if they were to be played. Uh, if you looked at someone like JJ Smith, perhaps Namibia had two series in that time frame. Uh, though interestingly, the USA was set to play a Cricket World Cup League 2 tournament in August. Not sure how that would have gone. had that gone ahead and we had the CPL as well but yeah plenty of news on the CPL front and we'll be keeping a keen eye on that uh, especially with Sandeep earning so much money as a marquee player as well yeah there's a lot of really strange decisions here I just don't understand I mean you look at someone like (laughs) Ryan Persaud he hasn't played any form of senior cricket for the US 
since I think it was uh, 2013, maybe when he was playing under 19s cricket. And why, you know, how how are they picking up someone like him? Where, where are they even getting the information from? We're we're hearing that there's some connection with Robin Singh, who who coached him as an under 19s player, you know, back in the day. But surely, if they're digging that far into club cricket in the US, they could look at someone like Kamal Levrock, who <laughs> you talked about that innings against Scotland. You, some of those shots he was hitting, going way back. He's he's a massive hitter, and it's just bizarre. And you know. I just find it strange in general that these you know, franchise teams are, seem happy to take a punt on the sort of next level of Afghanistan players like 15-year-old Noor Ahmed who, who played a few games at the uh, under-19s World Cup and, and did pretty well as a, as a left-arm wrist spinner. But are the you know next level of Afghan players really any better than top-level associate players? I, re- I really don't think so. I, you know, I, don't, I don't think that Ali Khan is much worse than any of them and I don't think that Kamal Levrock is much worse than them and I I don't know. It's it's just really strange. You'd think surely after the success of, of guys like Khan and, and Hayden Walsh Jr. and and Sandeep that they'd break through the glass ceiling, you know, and, and show that associates can perform. And you look, I mean, Sonny Sohal is it seems like a, an example of uh, oh well he played in the IPL one time so he must be better than these other associates even though he was pretty mediocre in the IPL and his time for the USA hasn't you know exactly lit the place on fire. Saad bin Zafar is actually a, a very good pick, but then again, he, he's played in the CPL previously, so he's a known quantity for them. I don't know, just some of these decisions are, are really strange, and as, as you say, what does George Munsey have to do to, to get into contention? Just finally, on the chat of, of full members in Afghanistan now having quite a presence, and, and maybe that idea of full membership helping them almost advertise themselves, what does Paul Sterling need to do to, to get a spot? Because he's been yeah. setting the world alight in T20 international cricket, and, and he even, you know, will chip in with with the ball as well and and Kevin O'Brien is another example there's plenty of talent in Ireland as a full member and look they're playing a one-day series against England which has been confirmed and they will be playing cricket at this time but yeah, again, I can't see why someone of, of Sterling's ilk doesn't get a chance to compete on the uh, T20 franchise level, at least in the Caribbean or in Pakistan or somewhere like that. Uh, let's move on and we'll talk about Tajikistan cricket because we have an interesting situation coming out of there. Their T10 league begins on July 19th, but they're unable to sanction that tournament is Tajikistan is not an ICC member at present. There was talk or at least hope of Afghan players or people involved in Afghanistan cricket helping out. They do border Tajikistan. Uh, A little bit disappointing not to have that Afghan presence, but I'm sure everyone in the Tajik Cricket League will be excited to get this up and running. We're not entirely sure if we'll see much of this, Nick, but yeah, a little bit disappointing that they they can't sanction this as as proper cricket and, and unable to bring in perhaps that Afghanistan influence as well. It's quite an interesting situation. You look at the uh, Tajikistan as a country bordering Afghanistan, uh, and in Afghanistan is actually quite a large uh, Tajik minority uh, as the ethnic group. And we've seen in Afghanistan the success of cricket has largely been contained to the Pashto uh, ethnic group. And and so it's I think it's quite interesting that if you know maybe if Tajikistan are shown to be playing the game and and Tajiks are getting into the game, uh, um, potentially that could motivate the Tajik population in Afghanistan. And and so I think yeah you. You would hope that Afghanistan would be looking at their neighbour and, and trying to help out. Um, it's it's always interesting when you see non-ICC members getting involved like this. And 
Chinook Sarko actually wrote a piece on emerging cricket, which was really interesting about the situation there. And, and they've got quite a lot of uh, recreational players. So I think Tajikistan's one to watch. Hopefully they should at least become an ICC member soon. Yeah, it made me wonder. There I saw the Afghanistan release saying that they support them. They see them as you know brothers over the border. Um, but because they are not members, they cannot allow any of their players to go and play. If the, the IPL is being played in a different country, it's still sanctioned by the, the BCCI. I just wonder whether the ACB could actually take this event as, you know, as long as everything matches up and, 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 and meets the standards of an event from anti-corruption and whatnot, but whether the ACB could actually sanction it themselves, perhaps for a fee, but you'd hope for not, meaning that it would be approved cricket and players could come. You know, The reality is at the moment it probably means that players are only going to come where the land borders and can get there quite easily, but I don't know, it's, it's not going to happen you know, in this time frame, but something to think about because you just think if they are there trying to help develop the game, then why not, why not sanction it and to get better quality players to, to get in there? But yeah, the former one of the former ACB CEOs is is there running things or at least involved in the tournament as well and we know the Afghan story and I was really intrigued to learn about in, in uh, Shonak's piece about the the makeup of the Tajik population and, and where people fled to during various wars and whatnot and why football is more popular than cricket because of where the people went to they went to more football playing nations so no it was really interesting I learned a lot from that it's always good to put things up and to learn just as much when you're getting it up there than uh, than you would if you read it somewhere else. Well, let, let's move to Ireland. And, well, I don't want to say we created this news, <laughs> but it, it's certainly something that has stemmed from something that we brought out of someone else. So Tenuous, tenuous, but, but good, yes. I'm claiming it. I think Tom Grunshaw is claiming it. <laughs> we'll be speaking again to Freddie Clocker in part two of our chat with him, but... In part one, he suggested that a European team could enter the Irish first-class system or at least the Irish first-class competition. Now, we've had a response from Cricket Island Performance Director Richard Holdsworth and I want to give you the exact quote. Could we see a European side play in the Interprovincial Series? Absolutely. I don't see why not. Certainly food for thought in the future. I think the long term would maybe be more interesting to look at. In the short term, I think finance would be a great problem. The reality is for a team to play in a competition in Ireland, it would be extremely expensive. Didn't rule it out. Uh, It seems plausible. It could be done. I I think it's a great idea. I think on the podcast, we suggested straight after Clocker's comments that the first person we should be in contact with is Warren Dutram at Cricket Island. But again, boys, I think we can see this as a a viable option going forward. Tim, you've been involved in in this side of the game a little bit more than the pair of us. Just how possible could this be for for Ireland and how beneficial it could be for everyone involved? Well, looking at from all the other European members' point of view and having been in situations in, in Hong Kong, Charlie Burke was great at coming up with these kind of solutions. It was at one stage, the Hong Kong team was going to play in the Sri Lankan, I think it was the Sri Lankan second eleven competition, um, but it's a matter of finding these little innovative ideas that perhaps nobody else has thought of or there's little uh, opportunities there that um, from a financial point of view makes sense because it's a lot cheaper than running something yourself or flying people all over the world but from this point of view I think there's an amazing opportunity if we just sort of look in our our mind's eye and dream a little bit about different players from all over Europe coming together to play in this team that will not only be hopefully strengthening the 
the the Irish competition with the talent from throughout Europe, but the skills they'll be learning and be able to take back with them, and just how that could galvanise European cricket. And if we look at the kind of the, the squeeze effect that we have here with the, the power of the ECL from the the bottom up, from a club point of view, and building local heroes through the T10 league that. Daniel Weston is doing, then if you could have those elite cricketers getting better and better in a first-class environment in, in Ireland, it just all seems for a cost-effective way anyway from that that top level of getting these players into Ireland. You never know. The ICC may have money in a bucket somewhere for special projects, and we know that their budgets have been cut and it probably isn't there, but this is the type of project that I'm sure the European nations would be happy to be contributing to or at least being assigning project funds to, knowing that this is an opportunity for their male players. Hopefully there's a, a similar opportunity for female players as, as competitions grow within, within Ireland and beyond there as well. But look, it could work, and you never know. This could be the start of something special. Well, it reminds me a bit of the um, uh, North Sea Pro Series, which ran for a couple of years with the Netherlands and Scotland and had a couple of teams from each of those countries in a sort of cross-border league. And I think, yeah, you know, you look at Ireland and there's a lot of talk around Munster and getting that extra team into their domestic tournament. You know, why not? have a couple of spots there for European players or even, you know, looking a bit further afield, you talk about the financial side of things. Going forward, you know, it'll become, or at least for the next little while, it'll probably be somewhat more expensive for teams to be flying over overseas players. You know, you look at, you know, there's a lot less of international travel going on at the moment. So bringing in internationals from, you know, South Africa or Australia or wherever, compare that to getting on a bus from Denmark and zipping over to Ireland, you know, I think there could be a pretty good uh, financial case to be made for, for bringing in European players rather than a bit further afield. Will be interesting to see what the next course of action there is. Let's move now to Africa. And in Nigeria, there's a ground being built at the Lagos University. A uh, story coming out of the Eagle uh, in Nigeria. In a 195,000 US dollar project, Kwesi Sagoe, a former president of the Nigerian Cricket Federation, says the construction of a cricket pitch of international standards in the university will further project the institution as Africa's best. Yeah, it's great to see. They've already invested in new facilities in Abuja out near the National Stadium. We saw Nigeria host one of the pathway events towards the T20 World Cup qualifier that they made it through for. So this is great news. We've talked about Nigeria before. You know, we'll have Matt Featherston coming up on a on a future podcast, and that's another country with 200 million people. Brazil, 200 million. Nigeria, 200 million people. So the more cricket grounds, the better. Yeah, and it's interesting that they're doing it at the university. You know, I remember talking in the Philippines to uh, the people involved there with their Dasmarinius field, which is uh, on, on a university property, and that's helped the university attract overseas students from India. And so I think there's potentially a, a financial a boon to that decision. I was interested in the in the story of Adek Kukoyi, though, who's a retired professor at uh, Lagos University, and he's a big force behind the push for cricket at the university. He was a, a literature professor. And he also did a stint lecturing French, which uh, is is quite interesting because I think maybe that could be a connection point for Mali and and maybe some of the other francophone African nations. Uh, Kokoyi has taken teams to to tournaments at universities in, in francophone West Africa, and he says. 
Cricket as a sport is different from every other game. It is a way of life, a character-building game. It is also an embodiment of on- and off-field discipline. So he's obviously very passionate about the game. And, um, you know, he's the sort of figure that can really, I think, um, we talk a lot about how cricket in these countries is often pushed by a, a small number of people. And he's one of those, you know, driving force people that I think potentially could could do a lot of good. So I think it'd be interesting to see uh, see how Mr. Kukoyi goes with his project of trying to grow the game in Nigeria. Uh, just finally, yeah, I think what Adi Kukoi says there is pretty spot on. And I actually think it's it's one of the things that got all of us into emerging cricket and, and, and made us so passionate about the game is it does teach such valuable life lessons. And I'm sure a lot of people that we'll talk to in the future about this will, will have the same idea. I'm sure Matt Featherston um, has a similar ethos. We've heard about the, the black shirts initiative that they've taken forward in Brazilian cricket. So can't wait to talk about that with him. But first, some more news around the emerging cricket world. Hello, I'm Norman Vanua. I play for PNG. I am a bowling all-rounder and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. <laughs> The Asia Cup has been officially postponed with a plan to move the tournament to June next year and Pakistan has exchanged hosting rights to Sri Lanka. As part of the deal, Pakistan will host the 2022 tournament. To Ireland and their three-match ODI series against England has been confirmed by the ECB. They'll play on July 30th, August 1st and August 4th, with all three matches being day-night fixtures elsewhere in Europe and the Czech Super Series has reached its championship weekend. Bohemian Cricket Club, Prague Barbarians, Vandals... Prague Spartans, Vanguards and Berno Rangers will battle for the inaugural trophy after Berno claimed the final spot from Week 4 action. To Cyprus and the Punjab Lions are undefeated in Group A with Brian Krier Club top of Group B heading into another round of action this weekend. And in Sweden, the Botkirka Stockholm series will conclude this weekend. Narka Cricket Club have secured a semi-final spot alongside Yugodon and Master that will conclude over the weekend in the nation's capital. The top class got underway in the Netherlands last weekend with Italian international Damien Crowley's unbeaten 74, handing HCC a win over ACC Amsterdam. Elsewhere, Tom de Groot's 85 not out was enough for VCC to overrun VOC. VRA brushed aside Dosti, while Punjab were too strong for HBS. Excelsior and Sparta's match was abandoned without a ball being bowled. And finally, the Zambia T10 will conclude this weekend with all four teams mathematically alive. We'll wrap that next week, but for now, here's part two with Freddie Clocker. Hi guys, I'm Chris Pierce, the head coach of the Czech Cricket Academy. Právě posloucháte Emerging Cricket podcast. I want to talk a little bit about the the development side of the game in Denmark and I understand as part of your work you're working in as a development officer. What are the duties that you undertake on that front? How, you know, many months across the summer do you guys work in in coaching kids around the country? What's the the current plan at the moment for Denmark? Well, at the moment we um, we're coming out to clubs. I'm helping with there's two development officers employed by the board and I'm overseeing more of the elite structure with Jeremy. In, in that role, we got obviously indoor practices from November to March. We do indoor stuff once a week. And then we have this, like a couple of months before the summer holiday where we do stuff as well. And then they have a break after that because they play so much cricket out in their clubs after uh, July until September. So we don't really see them and then they have a break. And then we set it up with tours uh, to Holland. We have a really good relationship with Holland where we go down and tour with our youth sites. And that's how we 
how it goes there and we have the under 15s and under 17s then that drip feeds up to the national team uh, that's how how that goes and then obviously with the club development my colleague he's more on that side going out to clubs going into schools trying to set up more activities in the schools and out in the clubs and making links up with them and I'm helping out as much as I can you know when I'm uh, free to do that during the week so I work you know 50% on either side or I'll say 75% with the elite uh, players and then 25% out in the clubs and uh, helping going out to schools and uh, and clubs and looking at coach education as well we're trying to help the coaches out in the clubs. So just on the schools program, um, I follow a guy called David Hemmett from Clostermark yep. School and, um, and they have a really good cricket program. Um, so I guess that's a success story. What's the cricket development in schools program like for the rest of Denmark? And you know, what, are, what are the plans and how are you trying to push into schools with these projects? We're trying to uh, give clubs... They identify the schools they want to work with, and then we go out and then try and create that connection. But again, it's all volunteer-based because we don't want to go out to a school and just do sessions after session after session if there's no connection between the club and the, the school. Because if we just go out there and then creating these, uh, which we like to think, some really good sessions and with, with good intensity and the kids love it, and then they come back into the club and then they don't get the same experience. So it's really important that we find that the clubs need to have a volunteer out with us during the day and then they can get to know the kids and then they can take them back to the school or back to the club. Not a lot of clubs have that, have that luxury of having a volunteer that can go out into school and that's where the, the challenge lies. So how does sport sit in, in Denmark? We see across Europe there's sort of different attitudes to some schools, uh, i.e. the Netherlands, not having any sport whatsoever in the schools leaving it all in the clubs and then we see other countries that have a mix of both what's it like in Denmark? It's the same as in in Holland. It's all uh, club based. It's not like you go into school and then and you you find your football player and then he's invited into a club. You have your your school. You do your hour and a half, two hours of sports education a week, and then you go into your club afterwards. So that's why it's all the mainstream sports that are on the telly that the kids wants to play. Um. So speaking, I guess of the of the youth program. Um. When you came onto the call, uh, we could hear the under 19s practicing in the back. You know, tell us a bit about that sort of underage program that you're working with. Yeah, so we have them, obviously, we have these uh, sessions during the winter where we also try and get them together for a long weekend where we test them and do their fitness and uh, get some specialist coaches in. Then we have once a week, we have sessions with them all. Not so much uh, one-to-one basis, but more in in uh, small squads. And then now with the summer holiday here in Denmark, we get the teams together for camp for a three-day camp where we play some of the league sites in 2020s in the evening and then we work on, on skills during the day. We have under-19s uh, today and then on next week we have three days with the under-15s and then hopefully when we do that then that should link up with a tour to Holland or someone comes to Denmark and play them. Now you mentioned the, um, the the big push that you were planning for the women's game. So what's the plan on that side of things? Because the, the women's team has haven't really participated in in a lot of cricket of late. Uh, it's been very quiet. So how are you trying to revive that? I don't know if it's been yeah been very quiet, and I don't know if it's the board maybe not having too much uh, emphasis on it, uh, or it's also connection with what is out in the club to to work with. So I think it's a bit of both. But we're trying to get some 
some ambassadors to come out and make these uh, like gatherings, you'd say, where we try and get some influences uh, and uh, development. We're trying to part-time hire development officers to come in and then run these sessions and then link them up to uh, having a, a big event where all these girls or and women come and try the game of cricket. And then uh, obviously we're working on a marketing strategy to how all these small little uh, gatherings you know, when to put them and all that kind of stuff. And then when to organize the different events and then have one final big event where then uh, they can go out in, the, out in the club. So they have different events at the different clubs we're trying to target. So at this stage, there's still only one turf wicket in Denmark. Is that correct? Yeah, we only got a square four four pitches. And that kind of weekend, I suppose, bring that back to, to talking about the, the development and, and the travails that you guys have when trying to develop the team on the elite front, having only one turf wicket to use and then trying to go internationally and play it at the next level. Is there any talk of potentially more being put in place in other sports? Is the climate there perhaps a little bit tricky to, to get that done as well? We're in the same altitude, or whatever you call it, with the Scotland. So I think we get the, we don't have any problems with the creating uh, grass wickets here and we're getting the clay from England. So we're doing all the same things there. But uh, I just don't think the clubs are productive enough to, to try and, and that's not what we what we have most of uh, in Denmark. We went for whatever reason, uh, you know, it just hasn't happened, which is, uh, it's a big shame. Talking about all, all these grounds, um, one of our emerging cricket group nate hayes is always interested in in finding out where people love playing around the world i I know you were talking about some of your successes around the world and places like bermuda and and malaysia and i'm curious to see if you've got a favorite ground around the world to to play at is there one that you've had a lot of success at where have you enjoyed playing the most and where have you enjoyed international competitions being played and and hosted in um traveling around the world and playing cricket oh wow there's obviously I was lucky enough to be in the YCs for four years and we played a game of cricket, a game once a year at the Lords. So obviously playing there is uh, unbelievable uh, feeling and, uh, well, not achievement, but lucky enough to play there. But obviously uh, Richardson Park down in uh, South Perth, <laughs> but it's uh, overlooking the view of uh, Swan River and all that kind of stuff and an unbelievable wicket. You know, it uh, can't get much better than that for for club ground. You're speaking <laughs> to your audience, that's for sure. You uh, you know who's listening. <laughs> so, but then you know, obviously, when we're playing, we're playing on such good facilities. Mainly when we're in the World the Cricket League, like playing Kenyara Oval, when their pitches are at their best, it's an unbelievable ground as well. You know, and, and playing in Malaysia, it's it's challenging, obviously, with the weather. But you know, playing there is always good fun because it tests more than just your cricketing skills. You also I'll be very fit and mentally strong to, to battle through the, the periods there where, where it gets kind of tough. So just back to uh, the Danish domestic competition, you know, it's going on at the moment, the T20 comp. So what's what's the situation with leagues and, you know, numbers of players uh, around the country? And um, is it a national league or are there regional comps? You know, how is it all set up in, in Denmark? Well, in Denmark, we have, uh, I think there's three uh, national leagues. And then there's uh, two leagues where it's um, divided up in east and west. Um, and there's uh, seven, seven or eight teams in, in each league. So, and the, the more you get down the leagues, it's mainly second team and third teams that are playing in that. So I think we've got about 36 clubs in, in Denmark. So it's uh, not that many. So you've touched a bit on the structure with um, trying to get 
people from the schools into clubs. And looking at Denmark's sporting scene more generally, uh, the Danish Cricket Federation is part of the uh, Denmark's Idrætsforbund. You know, so it's part of the broader sporting picture in Denmark. You know, how do you think cricket could try and cut through some of the, I guess, the chokehold of football? You know, because that's obviously the the dominant sport. Yeah, obviously, getting on on national, you know, television and stuff like that, or as you say. Uh, if you could come create more awareness and that's again from the board's perspective we need to be thinking out the box how we can get in in, in mainstream tv with with highlights or whatever just being mentioned because back in the day when danish was at their best you had your teletext that was on and you hear it in the in the, in the local news and stuff like that you, that you'd have on you'd have it in the papers and all that kind of stuff but as it's more mainstream sports that it's all about you know we we, we don't get much of a looking i'm afraid and it's just creating that awareness out in the public that, you know, if it's more little clips in the sports headlines at night with just a few comments or a little bit more in the papers, then that will go a, go a massive way. And um, this is, I guess, one of the recurring questions that we, we ask a lot of associate cricketers and, and cricket board members. But you know, Olympic participation and the possibility of cricket being in the Olympics, how important do you think that would be for, for Danish cricket? It, it would be massive, wouldn't it? Because it's all the mainstream sports in Denmark are in the Olympics and there's so much focus on it as it is in, in any team or about the Olympics. So if we could get in that, then it would, I would imagine, bringing a new pool of uh, money to, to Danish cricket because in Denmark, the teams that are competing for uh, medals in the Olympics, uh, European tournaments and World Cups, they get the special kind of funding from uh, Team Denmark. So if we can get in that pool, like we were, I think when I first started uh, 20 years ago we were in that pool and had so much funding available to us so our under 19s and national teams what we're going to South Africa every year like for for a week which we don't have anymore unfortunately if we could get back having that then you definitely see the game of cricket and the talent pools here in Denmark blossom so you've talked about back in the day the 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 old teletext and and I mean I remember when I was in England uh, when I was younger seeing the county scores coming up on the teletext and i think rod lyles mentioned that the dutch cricket still has some teletext and so i guess cricket previously had more of a profile in denmark so my question on that front is you know what what happened you know where where did cricket go well i just i just think that it just wasn't as important you know, I think maybe the the volunteers that were behind the scene and maybe I don't know the boards at a certain time went with some wrong uh, projects or yeah, there wasn't put enough emphasis on uh, development. I, I, I don't know uh, as I wasn't part of it. But what I can say is obviously that the society as everywhere has changed so much that you have to be so you have to be in a hurry the whole time. You don't have time to uh, take three hours out of your day on the weekend and go down and watch a cricket with a blanket and uh, have a few beers with your mates and stuff or take your family down and to go and see the cricket or your dad play or if it was your mum playing. You don't have that because you've you got to do so much and there's so so much uh, social media that you have to be traveling, you have to be seeing at the best places, you have to, you know, you have to be out there and that's much more important than just taking a day out on the weekend and going down and watching a long game of cricket and, and just sitting there with your mates. That's not, 
it's just not the done thing here anymore. And you can definitely feel that with the with the young young players as well. I, f- I find too that there just seems to be more things to do and it's meant sort of the the dilution of, uh, of numbers across a number of different activities and cricket's been a victim of it. People have just found different things to do, new activities. Um, and yeah, as you say, social media, I, I suppose, probably isn't the, the best for it. But I don't know, to be honest, I... I couldn't think of anything better than being at a, a at a cricket club drinking drinking a beer or some other beverage and and watching cricket. So yeah, it's interesting. You know, maybe the, the image of cricket to to some of the young people perhaps isn't as alluring as we might think it is. It's a, it's a great point actually that you that you've made there, Freddie. Because I haven't really thought of it like that personally, but yeah, I can see how it'd be a, an issue. Yeah, but also you could turn it on, on his head and say cricket in Denmark haven't been good enough at uh, developing and going with the times. That could also be, well, it is. I'm not saying it could be. It is also a factor. We just haven't been good enough developing the game and being being with the times. We Maybe we're still living in the past and we have too many dinosaurs on our boards and, you know, out in the clubs and saying, nah, it'll be okay. If we just do what we've done the last 20 years, we'll be all right. But it doesn't anymore. You have to think outside the box to be... Uh, to be in with the with the social medias. So what I said before is maybe a bit of a cop out saying, oh, we haven't been good enough and not really looking in and say, okay, how, what's the real reason? And we just haven't been following enough with the times and being being good enough at developing ourselves. Almost like if you, if you stay still, you go backwards kind of outlook on, on how it works. Exactly, 100%. Yeah, and in Denmark, obviously, we had some great achievement guys being chairmen for the club for 50 years. Is that healthy? No, it's not. Because you're not getting any new ideas in, you're not getting new ways of running the clubs and all that kind of stuff. Great effort. Great effort for the volunteers that's, that's been doing it and that's been, been around it. Awesome. Really well done. But is it really creative and is it uh, not not much uh, yet? Um, you know, you, you talk about society changing and, and this sort of leads us to one of the maybe slightly trickier questions is the there's the cultural and you know, racial aspect of cricket in that the team now has a lot more Asian heritage Danes in the side than, you know, than when you started. And the cricket scene in Denmark has a lot more of, of you know, Asian heritage players. And that's obviously been a great benefit to, to the scene in that, um, you know, they're, they're really enthusiastic and it, it supports the playing base. But on the other side, we hear a lot of the I guess criticisms of oh you know there's there's no Danish people it's only Indians and Pakistanis playing and you know that kind of you know ac- accusation how how do you see cricket taking the benefits of the you know the enthusiastic you know immigrant and second generation immigrants and and combining it to to bring in uh, the the local Danish players or the indigenous if you want to put it that way uh, Danes uh, who who haven't been coming to cricket as, as much as, as they have in the past? Oh, I just think it's maybe the clubs hasn't been good enough to uh, adapting to the situation and, and trying to, to create, you know, what is the culture really that we want to have at our clubs? You know, instead, yes, there's come a lot of uh, new, new players and, and people with a different ethnic background, but should that stop them from playing the sport that we all love, regardless of, of colour? As, as I see it, we're all cricketers, and if the if the clubs can't can't see the difference and trying to create the values uh, that the, the clubs have, then say okay, these are the values that we have as a club. If you can't uh, buy into that, then you, you you don't have to play here. Go in and start your own club. Saying that, it's much easier said than done because if they don't come in, then you don't get new members. But I think it's really important to stay true to your club 
and, and, and the values and the ideas that you have around it, then what color skin that you have is, it doesn't matter. But we haven't been good enough to, uh, to working uh, together with people that's come from abroad. It's like, okay, they come in with a different ethnic background. So the Danish guys come out uh, or leave the clubs. You, you need to be um, trying to, to blend them in both for to working together. And I don't think we've been doing that uh, well enough. Yeah, and, and I guess it, it sort of feeds into, you know, it's we've seen this in, in a few countries where people sort of perceive cricket as a sport. You know, it's not a Danish sport. It's a, you know, it's a Pakistani sport or an Indian sport. And, you know, why would I go play that Indian sport? That's, that's for those people rather than... Um, how, so I guess how do you try and build the idea that no, it's it's a Danish sport that Danish people play rather than oh, it's just what those immigrants are doing. Yeah, it's, and I think it's easier said than again said than done. As as a, we all play the game because we love it. There are just um, cultural differences, and and we haven't been been good enough at at doing that. And I don't have the solution to that question. I I don't know if I had, I would be well. Well, I don't either. No, exactly. Danish cricket wouldn't be in the state that, that we're in. <laughs> I just know that it's it's a really challenging question. And uh, for example, we're trying to get Thomas Hansen, the great Danish fast bowler, back into helping us with the coaching. And he hasn't been around for 10 years. How can it be a man who's the leading wicket taker in Danish cricket? Hasn't been around Danish cricket for that long. Obviously work, he's got a family, but also does he want to spend the full weekend with guys he hasn't doesn't uh, have the same values and the same cultural feeling you, you know and it's because Danish or because cricket is such a long game and you're spending so much time with the, your players or your teammates I think it's really important that you then find something that, that bonds them and at the moment we don't have that solution if you're ethnic Dane or if you're ethnic uh, uh, Pakistani yeah and I guess this sort of plays into a lot of the um, societal angst in Denmark in a lot of yeah. other ways and that you know what what do you do with uh, you know, immigrants and immigrant communities and that that's been a very controversial topic uh, recently in Denmark just in in society in general so you know cricket's not alone in facing this question not at all not at all we've just been yeah I think I don't know, I don't know if we've been neglecting that you know too much and trying to make a bit of a cop out and say I oh, Cricket is not played for for ethnic Danes because it's a different sport. I think it's a too easy a cop out. I just don't think the clubs and maybe the board hasn't been uh, well good enough to to working out the combination where it, where it works. Uh, so here on the Emerging Podcast, one of our big questions that we have for guests is that if you could change one law of cricket, what would it be and why? I'll give you a couple of moments if you if you want to think that one over. What would change? Hmm. Easy one would say that you'd have uh, for nobles and wides, you'd have free hit fall, so uh, to benefit the batter. <laughs> Spoken like a batsman. Great idea. Spoken like a batter. <laughs> Never bowled a ball in his life, has he? Exactly. <laughs> He's a wicketkeeper too. <laughs> Open the batting and slogging and then catching, sledging the the other batters. He's never bowled a ball. No, exactly. No. <laughs> what I would have to make it more fun and even a bit more challenging running between the wickets, I'd have a double run out. Oh, double Ooh, plays. like it. Hey, yeah. We haven't had that one yet too. Why not? If they're, really, if they're really that bad running between the wickets and they're standing in the middle, look at each other. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Then get them both off. I think that's outstanding. Yeah, and then to see both batters running for the the, the 
shortest end <laughs> to try and be the first one that gets in there. Trying to protect one of them at least, yeah. Yeah, that that would be my play. I think that might have come up in an early one when we were talking, I think when I variations of, you know, being a dead ball when he hit the stumps, yeah. but then I think it was Peter Delapena said, no, he doesn't want that because he wanted double play. So I think you and PDP see the same way there. Superb. Freddie, it's been an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for joining the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Good luck in your future endeavors for Danish cricket and emerging cricket in general. And we'll hopefully hear from you very soon. Thank you very much, guys. A huge thank you to Freddie Clocker for joining us here on the show and good luck to everyone in Danish cricket. As we said at the top of the pod, don't forget to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, pass the pod around and make sure to give us a five-star review. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler and me, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.